0: those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Joe. I'm uh, one of the elders on staff, and it's a great privilege to be able to bring to you God's Word. Uh, We are going to be continuing our new series through the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon. Uh, We started it last week. If you missed that sermon, I would really encourage you to go catch it online. It was a great blessing to me, and I know it will be for you as well. Uh, But we, in the last couple of weeks, uh, as I said, we started off this new series, but we ended off the Gospel of Mark. And uh, the Gospel of Mark, we did, I think Matt said, for about 36 weeks. Uh, Great series. I absolutely loved being a part of it and hearing it and other uh, guys preach it. Um, But this series was about a series of getting to know Jesus. We called it A Journey With Jesus. And the reason why we've chosen the Song of uh, Solomon is because we realize as we get to know about someone, you can know about somebody theoretically, but not necessarily know them personally. And the same is with Christ. The danger is we could have listened to about Jesus for 36 weeks and what he did, all his acts that he had achieved, and yet he could all just be someone we know from a distance. Like we all know Cyril Ramaphosa, but none of us, I'm sure, if maybe some of you do, but none of us know him. Like, you can't just, you don't have him speed dial. You don't have that personal relationship with him. And the same with Jesus is it can be someone we've learned from Sunday school, someone we've learned from our parents, someone we hear about but don't necessarily know personally. And so the Song of Songs is to come and help us grasp uh, a personal relationship with Jesus, to learn how to experience him and enjoy him. And so we've titled the series Created for Closeness. Because we want to uh, be created for closeness, we want to be close to Jesus. And we were created for closeness. Literally, we were created for closeness with God. We see this happen all the way back in the book of Genesis. God creates Adam and Eve, and we see in Genesis that, he, they, that God walked with them in the coolness of of the day. He had, he had a relationship with them, a close relationship with them, but yet that doesn't last very long. Sin enters the world. Adam and Eve rebel against God, and what happens is this relationship is broken. It is torn apart, but yet God doesn't leave the state of the relationship between God and man like that. He comes up with a plan, and for millennia, we see God will shape history He will shape nations. He will let them rise and let them fall. He will shape genealogies in order that he might, at the perfect time, send his son Jesus. And Jesus will enter the world as a human, live a perfect life that we could not live. And he would die on the cross. And as he dies on the cross, he would bear our sin and take our punishment of death. And we are told that if we believe in this Jesus, that if we repent of our sins, that our sins will be removed and we will be forgiven. And what happens in that moment is man and God are reconciled, but not a reconciliation of just enemies, no longer enemies, not just a reconciliation um, that there was this neutral okayness between us and God now, but rather the process of adoption takes place in this reconciliation. We go from being enemies to God to being sons and daughters of the living God, the, the relationship radically shifts from being uh, against him to suddenly being in his household, in his family. That's the glory of the gospel, is that we don't just know God from a distance, but now we get to call him Father and get to enjoy the benefits of knowing God in a real close way, like parents do with their children, so we get to do so with the perfect God in heaven. And, and the, the ramifications and the implications of this is, is radical. It really is. The love that we get to experience from God is radical. We looked at some of these uh, scriptures last week. In, in John 15 verse 9, these amazing words, Jesus speaking here says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. abiding in my love. Isn't that remarkable? That, that the, the love that the Trinity have for one another for all eternity, that the love that the Father has for the Son is the same love that the Son has for you. That, uh, it's, I mean, you can't wrap your head around that. The, in my mind, there always was this idea of there was some love for us, but the love that God has for themselves, the, the, in the triune God, the love that is functioning there is the God that is the love that is far greater than anything we experience. But Jesus says no that the love that I have for you, the love that I have available for you, is the same love that the Father has for me. Absolutely remarkable. And Paul tries to grasp this in Ephesians 3 verses 14 and 19. He, he says these words, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may comprehend, may comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And here Paul uses an imagery its of a length, height, breadth, and width. It's, it's a, it's in, the, in, the, in the Greek, it's an endlessness. It, there's, it's a boundless. He's trying to make this perfect cube that you doesn't matter where you go in that cube, you will never find the end of it that God's love for you in Christ is so extreme that you can never, ever come to experience all of it. And so the message of the Song of Songs and the Song of Solomon for for us as Christians is not for the immature that just have recently come to know Jesus. The, The call to come enjoy God's love and experience it is for those of you who have been Christians for 50 years, because you have not just put a toe in the ocean of God's love. And this is going to be the glory of heaven. This is going to be a glory of eternity. Do you think perfection would get boring? Of course it would at some point. But the reason why heaven is going to be glorious is not because of the great things around us, and they are certainly going to be great, but because God's love for us is going to be so grand that we for all eternity will have only put a toe into it. We're going to be able to find more and more and delight in more and more and more of it. This is the magnitude of the gospel for you. And so the Song of Sol- uh, Solomon captivates this in speaking about a bride and a groom, in talking about it, this bride's love for the groom, the groom's love for the bride. And it's, an, it's a real story of, of Solomon writing about someone real, but it, it's, it's imagery for us to be able to see this is how Christ loves us and this is how we ought to love him too. And, and, and this imagery is not new. It might seem a bit odd that this is the way it's going to be, but actually we see Paul talks about Jesus being the groom and we being the bride, of the church. And this is the love that is there for us. And the call, continuously the call throughout this book for you is going to be come and experience and enjoy this love. For this is what we have been created for. We have been created for closeness with this glorious Jesus. So with that in mind, if you wouldn't mind opening up your, your Bibles to the Song of Solomon... Um, It's if you are going to need to look for it, it's Psalms, then it's Proverbs, then it's Ecclesiastes, then it's the Song of Solomon. Or the Song of Songs, we're going to, as you've probably already heard, I've I've called it both this morning. We will interchange between the two. And uh, our text this morning is going to be verses 1 to 4. We're going to be looking at that again. Uh, Mark was meant to preach this week, uh, but he felt ill. And I was going to preach on a line in verse 2. And so I've been asked to please step in and preach. And so that's where we're going to be focusing on. Let's read verses 1 to 4. And let's see what it says. It says this: the song of songs, which is Solomon's, and then the bride speaks. She speaks, and she says, "Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is uh, oil poured out." And I just want to pause there. The the anointing oil there is fragrant. Uh, when uh the men in 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 paul's day and in jesus day and in solomon's day showers and baths weren't a daily habit and so to smell good they would anoint themselves with oil to have that fragrance if you went to somebody's dinner they would put some olive oil on you and so that would be the smell rather than your bad odor and so this she says here your anointing oils are fragrant she's been close to him and so there's this call for us again as we talk about closeness, that we are created for closeness. She has been close enough to be able to smell to smell her groom. And in a, in a similar way here, it says your name is oil poured out. She, the name, as we've sung about the name of Jesus a lot today, a name is more than just the letters, it's the character of the person. She's gotten to know her groom so well, she's able to say your, your character is such, it's like it's perfume and, and so is with Christ that Christ's character is so good, the more you get to know him, the more you just get to delight in the fragrance of this wonderful person, Jesus. You can enjoy his character. Sorry, let's carry on reading. It says, your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run uh, let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. And then others speak. And we, will know, and we will notice throughout this book that there will be others that chime in and speak about this. And, and what's important for us is to realize that in order to experience the fullness of God's love, you cannot do it in isolation. We see it again in, Paul's, in, in Ephesians 3, verses 14, 19. I read it earlier about the, the length and the breadth and the height and the width. He says, with all the saints may you comprehend with all the saints, friends, if you are going to experience the fullness of God's love for you, the love that Christ has for you, you cannot do it by yourself. You have to do it in the family that He has adopted you into. So, so that's been a call for us. And then the others chime out, and they go here. They say, they say, "You will exalt and rejoice. Uh, we will re, re, uh, exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love uh, more. Uh, we will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you." Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful word. We thank you uh, for uh, this wonderful call to come and know you and delight in you. And I just pray for us this morning as we talk about this, that our hearts would be captivated with the greatness of your love. And, and Lord, as, as difficult as sometimes talking about your love is, that we would be able to, through the power of your Spirit, understand that this is how you love us as an individual and that we would be able to make that personal, that we would be uh, in awe of this great love that you have graciously given to us freely through your son, Jesus. May we love you in, in return as we understand this love, and may our hearts grow uh, in a, an understanding and a, an ability to be able to receive and enjoy your love, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a line in verse 2 that I'm wanting to focus on quite a bit this morning, and, it's, and it says this. It says, for your love is better than wine. Your love is better than wine. And and uh, the way we're going to do this is we're going to talk about why Jesus's love is better than wine because of what it isn't, of what it isn't like wine. And then we're going to look a little bit later of why Christ's love is better than wine because of what it is. And the first thing of a white uh, it's Christ's love is better than wine because of what it's not is because when it comes to wine It can be taken without uh, when it comes to Jesus's love. It can be taken without question uh, As I talk about wine this morning Maybe if some of you have already felt a bit uncomfortable that I'm talking about wine in church uh, And if we had to go around the world and we had to speak about to various people There would be various opinions on wine. there'll be some that say you need to abstain from it You shouldn't take it at all and there's some wisdom in in, in that for certain people And then there are others who would say, no, no, you must drink of it as much as you want. You must abound in it. You must enjoy it. Just drink as much wine as you can. And there'll be others that will fall in the middle and say, no, no, you can drink some wine as long as you drink it moderately. But when it comes to Jesus' love, his love is better than wine because if you talk to any Christian, they will never, ever tell you that you should abstain from it. If you talk to any Christian that has tasted of this glorious wine, they will not tell you that you should drink of His love moderately. But rather, His love is more gracious and more glorious than wine and better than wine is because you can drink of it abundantly. The call of the Gospels, the call of Jesus, the call of Christ on your life is to come and drink of His love abundantly because the joy that it offers is a greater joy than anything else that you can experience There are many pleasures in this world that are questionable. And many that sometimes we as Christians, though they might give us pleasure, we ought to forsake. But when it comes to the love of Jesus, it is come drink as much as you possibly can. Come and take away. Come and take as much of it as you you can possibly take in. It is better than wine because it's not questionable. The second reason for why uh, your love is, his love is better than wine is because it costs no money. It costs no money. Um, there have been many people who have squandered estates, who have destroyed their lives, have not been able to pay rent because of their love of wine, and uh, they have lost out on lots of things because of it. But the love of Christ is far greater than that, is because you can come and drink it without it costing you anything. We see this explained in Isaiah 55, verse 1. It says, Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and, and, and milk without money and without cost. The love of Christ is being called to you freely. Come and enjoy it without any cost. It doesn't cost you anything. And this is the most remarkable thing about Jesus is that he has loved you regardless of who you are. There is nothing in you that he has seen that makes him delight in you, that he would come and die for you on the cross. There is nothing in you that he has looked at and gone, you are the reason, or, you've done this action and this action and this is why I will come and save you. And when you grasp that Jesus has loved you regardless of who you are and magnifies his love, incredible in incredible amounts. And in a similar way too, there is nothing as a Christian, even though you know him, there is no action that you do that suddenly lets his hand open up more and pour out his love more upon you. There is no action in which you have done that suddenly he goes, Yes, I'm gonna spontaneously give you more love. There is no a prayer that you have prayed to secure it but the love of Christ is freely given to you spontaneously because he loves you. And, and maybe we ask why, and, then, and Luke 10 verse 21 says, because it seemed good in his sight. He graciously gives you his love. You do not have to go and earn a Christian. You do not have to go and prove it in order to pry it out of his hands. And, I, and that just goes against every legalistic bone inside of us, that Christ freely and graciously gives you the fullness of his love. It is available to you. The next reason why his love is better than wine is because it can be enjoyed endlessly. There are many sweet things in this world that you take and eat of that you can't just eat too much. You can eat too much of it, right? I love cheesecake, but as much as it pains me to say I can't eat a whole one, I really would love a big cheesecake and eat the whole thing, but I have to sit on one piece because if I go more, I get myself sick. The same is with honey. You can have a spoonful of honey, but you can't eat a jar of it. There are few special people in this world that can pop two holes at the end of a milk container and drink the whole thing and not feel ill. You are blessed, people. The rest of us, we have to stop. And the same is with wine. Besides the drunken state that will come if you drink too much of it, the, the the there's a cloying in your mouth, your palate. It gets too much. You have to eventually stop. It gets too, too sweet, it gets too much. But in the same way with Jesus' love, there is never too much. It's better than wine because you will never ever drink of his love for you and go, oh, I've had enough. This is too much for me to handle. But rather as you experience his love upon you and you, and you, you get it and you, you are blessed with it and you're blown away by how glorious it is, what happens is you start to say more, Lord." more. Don't stop. Oh, this is, there's a craving for more. There's never a point in which you're stopping God. This is too much for me to handle. It's better than wine for this reason. Charles Spurgeon, writing on this about a man called Samuel Rutherford, who, who was enjoying the love of Christ, he, he, he says this in about one of his letters. He says, Yet you can see in his letters how he labored for suitable expressions while trying to set forth his hungering and his thirsting after the love of Christ. He says he floated upon Christ's love like a ship on a river, and then he quaintly asks that his vessel may fonder and go to the bottom till that blessed stream shall flow right over the master head of his ship. He wanted to be baptized into the love of Christ, flung into the ocean, of his Savior's love. That is the imagery of someone who's tasting the love of Jesus. It's not, I've had too much, but rather as you taste of it, you're going, throw me in. I want to go to the bottom of this ocean. I want more of it, Lord. The love of Christ is better than wine because you can keep on having more and more of it. The next reason why it's better than wine is because it never turns sour. At some point, wine will go sour. It will, through the different stages of its development and uh, through outside influences, that sweet uh, fermentation will turn into vinegar that suddenly becomes sour. But I want to tell you that the love of Christ towards you never turns sour. This is remarkable. That, that no outside influence on Christ will ever make him look upon you with a sour love or sour toward you, bitterness toward you. And just stop for a moment and consider your unfaithfulness. Just stop for a moment and consider those times where others were around and you were ashamed of speaking about this Jesus. Just stop for a moment and consider when the Holy Spirit, God himself, came and told you not to go after a pleasure and yet you knew so clearly he was telling you no, but yet you went and did it anyway after something far less Consider for a moment those times when you went and sinned and, and abandoned Christ and went wayward in, your, in, in life. But yet in all of those, Christian, that you have wandered and strayed and have not done what you ought to have done and you were faithless and were unfaithful toward the Savior who has loved you with such a grand love, his love for you has not turned sour one bit. <laughs> well, may that bring you peace this morning to know that your actions have not made him look at you with the scowl on his face or look at you with disdain or disgust. He he doesn't do that at all, but rather with this great fatherly love, he looks at you. His love is better than wine because there's nothing that could turn it sour. His love for you burns just as bright, just as perfectly, and just as fully as it ever has. This is his glorious love towards you. His love is better than the wine because of what it not is. Now, now let's look at his love being better than the wine because of what it is. Well, wine had some certain healing properties Uh, in the old, uh, in ancient worlds. Wine was used as a healing agent. Uh, We see this in Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, verse 23. Paul tells Timothy, No longer drink water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And again, we see it in Luke 10, verses 34. Uh, the, good, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells of the story of how the man was beaten up by robbers and the Samaritan comes to his aid and applies oil and wine to his wounds. It was a, 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 an ailment that healed the, the body and healed the wounds, um, an agent that did that. But Christ's love is far greater than that because it not only heals the body, but he comes along and heals the spirits. It heals the spirit. Now, every Christian in this room has a testimony of how your once dead soul has come along and now is alive. And I don't know what verse that was for you that made that moment happen where your soul was dead to sin and the removal of sin had come along and, and now your soul had become alive, but we are told that dead soul was regenerated through the power of the Holy Spirit the moment you believed in him. And as you believed and as you saw the glories of Christ, you became a new creation. He has healed your soul. But even for the Christian, there is a healiness that comes upon our souls throughout the difficulties of life and the burdens of sin and shame. I I remember being, man, I must have been about 14, 15 years old, and I'd committed a certain sin, and I really struggled with guilt and shame for months, I was too ashamed to tell anyone about it. I didn't want anyone else to know about it. I'm prideful like that. And I held on to this. And, and as much as I tried to tell myself to get over it, the burden of this sin never went away. As much as I told, tried to play it down, the, the hardness of it was too difficult for me to carry. As much as I told myself to forget about it, it plagued my mind at every moment. I was not thinking about something else. It was in my mind. It popped into my mind. And if you've ever carried the burden of shame and guilt, you'll know it's incredibly hard to carry. Is there anything more difficult to carry? And I, and I, I headed off off to a camp. Uh, I was about, yeah, as I said, about fourteen, fifteen. I headed off to a camp, the Baptist camp in Kimberley with my family, my cousins. And at some point during the, the worship session of one of the evenings, the, there was a call to come forward and seek prayer. A lot of it was for salvation. I'd already come to know Christ at this point but I remember heading out, uh, just needing to share with someone. And the idea was I could share this with someone and talk about it because <laughs> I didn't know them. And so I was never gonna see them again, they were in Kimberley. And I found this, this guy, this man, he had long dreadlocks, they were glorious. And, uh, and I remember going to him and uh, chatting to him. I can't remember what he said, but we ended up praying and I asked Christ to forgive me. And as the tears rolled down my cheeks, I remember leaving that place free and as light as a bird. I was just set free. This guilt was gone. And I felt the love of Christ in my heart. And what I had doubted for so long was that my sin had somehow chased me away from my Father in heaven. I was reassured over by His love that He has forgiven me and He loves me with a fullness of love. The love of Christ is better than wine because it can heal a burdened soul. And we see this in, in, in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 30, these famous words Jesus speaking says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, this was what, what, I, what I realized and experienced. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The love of God is greater because it heals our souls. Even the most burdened and shameful souls, it heals. It is, it is better than a wine because a wine is often associated with giving men strength. And I, I thought about that a little bit and I'm not too sure it gives men strength, but it, at the very least it gives us Dutch, Dutch courage. You think you have a lot stronger than you actually are, and, uh, but, but the love of Christ actually gives you strength. It gives you strength to face the battles of life. It gives you strength to be able to be strong in the midst of suffering. It gives you strength to be able to sacrifice when we ought to sacrifice. It be able to take the hardships and the, and the difficulties of this world and, and be able to turn those moments into a happy, good one. That's what the love of Christ is able to do. And, and we see this throughout church history. <laughs> We see great men and women do great exploits for the kingdom and for the glory of God because they were captivated by the love of God it was the love of God that, that suddenly captivated their hearts that they would be able to do extraordinary things that normal people would not be able to achieve because they were caught up in this love for Christ. They, were, they had enjoyed it. They were enjoying it. They were amazed by it, that it was the greatest thing that they could ever experience. And so, it, therefore, it drove them to do great things. And may I say that what the church needs, our church and the church, capital C church around the globe, is not greater programs, is not greater strategy. It's not greater worship sets and and bigger events. It's it's not greater uh, ability to be uh, to to be able to pull off things as well as the world does. What the church needs is for its people to be captivated by the love of Christ. What we need as a church to be able to change this city is that we are in all of this love and that we are drinking it of regularly. When churches have grasped this and loved Christ with a fervent love and have experienced his love and go after it more than anything else in the world, that's when cities and nations change when the church realizes where its priorities need to be and what the greatest pleasure in the world is, and that is Christ's love. It cannot be the other things. And so if we are able to, as a church, love Jesus and experience his love for us as, as, as much as it has, and we go after it, it will give us the strength we need to make an impact for our friends and in our, in our loved ones' lives and in our city. The reason why Christ's love is better than wine is because it's, it is, wine is seen as a symbol of joy. <laughs> It is, whether we, we like it or not, it's seen as a symbol of joy. It's, if you, you That's why it was so important in John chapter 2 that Jesus turned the water into wine, because it was going to spoil the wedding if there was no wine to drink. And he creates the symbol of joy that happens and comes with this even better wine that he gets to make. Uh, wine is seen as celebrations, and uh, it's seen as, as for those when you're having parties. That's what wine comes in. But Christ's Christ's love is better than wine because it brings a better joy. It brings a better joy than any other joy that there is in this world. And we can't deny that there aren't joys in this world. There certainly are. There are many things that we can enjoy that that a non-Christian can enjoy, right? At the end of today, we can all head down to Nahoon Beach, and we can all enjoy the wonders of Nahoon Beach. You could head off to a coffee shop and enjoy the same steak with a non-Christian, You can enjoy uh, a good cup of coffee. These things are there, but the reason why the love of Christ is better is because those joys come to an end, but the love of Christ never does. And what I mean by that is you've got to realize that any pleasure outside of Christ is finite. It has a limit. As much as you want to drink all that good cup of coffee, you can only drink so much coffee, and you have to stop. It has a limit, and when you leave, the coffee ends. When you go to the beach, you can only joy so much, but until you get sunburned and the salt starts to dry out your skin and it gets a bit windy and sandy and it's a bit much and you have to go. There is only so much joy it can offer, but that joy comes to an end. But you see, the difference is that with Christ, he is not finite. His love, love is infinite. It has no ending. And so there is never a point in which the love needs to end. The only time we don't experience the joy is because we've turned away from it, not because it doesn't offer it anything more to us. And when we get to come and enjoy God's love, we get to experience something that's far grander than the world has to offer. And also when we enjoy the love of Christ, we also start to enjoy those common graces like the beach, like coffee, far more than, than a person who doesn't know Jesus the reason is because as you drink of that wonderful coffee and as you delight in it, you make it a praise about Jesus and enjoying Him that He has given you that coffee. And so while the coffee ends, the praise in Christ continues and the joy in Him continues. There is a grander joy to the Christ love and the same is with wine. You can only drink so much of it, but it will come to an end and you will have a bubble lust the next morning. And then the joy is gone and there's a headache. But the love of Christ doesn't have side effects like that. It continues. It gives you joy, and it gives you joy, and it gives you joy. The love of Christ is better than wine for these reasons. But I'm going to move on from that, and and I, I realize as we talk about it, the danger is we can talk about the love of Christ theoretically. We can talk about it in ways that are, this is what Christ's love is like for you. But I want to say to you that the word love here is, in the Hebrew, it's plural. And one of the, the, the translations puts it in a footnote to, to mean uh, acts of love. You see, when she talks about the love of her, 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 her groom here, she's not talking about the fact that he is just saying he loves her, or it's just this idea of love, but rather she's experiencing his acts of love. He is demonstrating the acts of love. And I want to say that with Jesus as well. The, this gosp, the Gospels and, and this book, this, this, the Word of God, is full of God's, uh, Him telling us He loves us. Over and over and over again, He says He loves you, He loves you, He loves you. But He hasn't just said it, He demonstrates it. And those of you who are married realize that that is something that is important. That you want to you hear your spouse say that they love you, but they need to show it as well, Right? It can't just be words that are said because the words are important, but they mean very little after a while if it isn't backed up with action. We have to demonstrate love through action, and that's what Jesus does. He demonstrates love through action. His love towards you isn't just him telling you like I've been telling you this morning, but he demonstrates it through action. And we see this wonderfully in a verse in in John 13, verse 1. It says this. It says that that he showed uh, his disciples, um, them love till the end, And the way they could be seen is that he showed them the full extent of his love. He showed them. Not only did he tell them he loved them, but he showed them. He demonstrated it through action. And so how does Jesus demonstrate his love to us through action? And the first way he does this is through provision. The love of God is shown to us in the way he provides for you and me. We see this uh, wonderfully explained for us in Matthew uh, 7, verse 11. Jesus comparing God's love for us like that of a father. He says this, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good good gifts to those uh, who ask? And again in, in 2 Peter 3, verse 1, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us according to his own glory and excellence. He gives us all things pertaining to life and godliness. He provides everything you need in life in order that you might live a godly life. He doesn't leave you stranded. He provides. His love is demonstrated through action. The the next way he does this is he shows it to us through guidance. He demonstrates his love through guidance with us. We see this famously done by David in Psalm 23, verse 3. It says, And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads you in paths of righteousness. He leads you. And, and not down treacherous paths that are going to lead to sin and difficulty, but paths in righteousness. He guides you. Again, David was saying, verses 32 and 8, talking about the extent of his investment in your life and how he teaches and guides, he goes on to say, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He never takes his eye off you. He's intricately involved in every little detail of every person's life here. And he knows where you should go and he will instruct and teach. He might lead you down a place you don't know where and how to cope with, but he will teach you and help you through it. He is constantly on you. His love isn't just, "Yah, oh, I love you, but no, no. He is involved, invested in our lives, leading and giving us guidance when we need it. He, he shows his love through his protection. Again, those famous words in Psalm 23, David speaking, it, it says this, "Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me." He, he leads us. He guides us even the, through the most difficult moments in life. He's protecting us. And, and the, the way that is done is through his rod and his staff, and he will bring us comfort. Another one that David is, says is in Psalm uh, 4, verse 8. He is on the, he's fleeing from Saul for his life, he's hiding in caves, he's worried about his life, and he says this. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, uh, O alone, oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is a verse I sometimes have to repeat to myself as I jump into bed at night, and my, wi- my mind tends to wonder, what if something happens? What if this happens? And, the, and I have to know, oh Lord, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O oh Lord, make me and my family dwell in safety. Not my strength, not my locked doors, my fence. For David, it wasn't his army that was with him. His strategy, his experience of fighting off lions and bears, his defeat of Goliath, he didn't depend on those things. But no, Lord, you alone, alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. He is the one who protects us. He demonstrates his love through protection. And in another way, he demonstrates his love, and maybe this is not something you would expect this morning, but he demonstrates and shows his love through chastisement. He does it through chastisements, through his discipline. We see this in in Psalm 119, verse 67. It says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Charles Spurgeon, uh, uh, commenting on this, says this, I know that many of you who belong to him have often smarted under his chastising hand, but Christ never smelt you in anger yet. Whenever he has laid the cross on your back, it is because he loved you so much that he could not keep it off. He never took away a joy without meaning by it to increase your joy. And it was always done for your good. Perhaps we cannot at present say that the Lord's chastising love has always been sweet to us. But we shall say it one day. And I think I must say it now. I bless my dear master for everything he has done to me, and I can never tell all that I owe to the anvil and the hammer and the fire and the fowl. Incredible, isn't it? And while I agree with him, there are many things that we cannot say now we understand. But through all the rest that he has told us about his love, one day we will be able to see with some clarity. He shows us his love through his chastisement. And lastly, I want to say, before we head off to the communion table, is he shows his love through his presence. We saw this in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why won't he fear evil? For you are with me. You are with me. Or he would fear evil if God was gone. You are with me. Or in Hebrews 13 verse 5, it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or how about even the most famous words of God's uh, uh, never-ending love toward us in Romans 8 verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither uh, death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This is the grandness of God's love towards you, church. It's, 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 it's bigger than you can possibly imagine. It's fuller than you can possibly ever get to an end of. And it's practical. Thank God it is practical. He loves you practically. And there's so much for you to offer. And the call of Christ is to come and enjoy it. But the, the, the grandest demonstration of God's love for us is found in his death. If you're questioning this morning as we talk about protection, as we talk about presence, as we talk about provision, and you're going, I'm not sure whether Christ is ever showing that to me. I don't know if he does love me like you're talking about. There is a place to go that you'll be able to be sure of it, and that is to the cross. To be able to keep your eyes on the cross and be able to look there, there you will see that Christ loves me with his fullness of love. As you will soon be able to hold on to these elements, let them preach to you the love of Christ this morning. As you hold on to the bread that symbolizes his body that was broken for you, be reminded that through the, the, the drastic, humiliating, beating and death that Christ had as his body was broken on that cross, he has made a way like through that curtain that you might be able to enter freely into the presence of God and enjoy all of his love for you. Not through your actions, not through your own efforts, not through your righteousness, not through your own goodness, but because of the love of Christ and the cross for you, you now have a way into the presence of God. Preach that to yourself this morning until you are convinced that he loves you so. And then as you hold on to the, onto the, the, the grape juice, which symbolizes wine, or there's, some, there's an irony to that this morning or a connection there for us this morning. As you hold on to that, remember that it was through the shedding of his blood upon the cross that your sins are washed away and that you are clean before God, so that He shed His blood, so that your sins might be taken away, so that you might be adopted into His family, and that all the blessings of God might be given to you, that you might enjoy all that God has, all His love. Every extent of it is now available to you, and there is nothing that keeps you away from it, no sin that holds you back, because the love of Christ has washed it away through His blood. So, I'm going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask if the worship team will come forward and play, and the servers will come forward as well. And I'm going to pray for you quickly now, and as and then I'm going to ask you to come forward, and if you wouldn't mind coming and taking the elements, um, holding on to the bread and the grape juice, and spend some time meditating upon it, and then we'll eat and drink together. All right. Father, we thank you so much for this great word that you have shared with us this morning, that you have loved us with such a great love. And I pray, Lord, that we would be convinced without a shadow of a doubt that you love us to such an extent. And as we partake of these elements, as we hold on to them, Lords, I ask that any hearts that might be questioning whether or not you love them, that they would be convinced without a shadow of a doubt that you love them with the fullness of love. And as we partake of them, may there be joy in our heart that rises up knowing that the love of God is for us and with us and available to us all the time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come forward and, and, uh, and take the elements, please. you are ready you can eat and drink together Your oh, father we we consider this grand love that you have for us And I pray, Lord, that you would help us not to just be theoretical in our minds, but that you would help us through prayer, through a close connection with you, to be able to experience it. And like this bride with her groom, that we would be able to come close to you and and smell the fragrance of your oil, that we would know the closeness of Christ in our hearts, and that we would grow closer and closer to you each and every single day. And uh, that we would be amazed and in awe of the wonderful character of our God. And that we would have eyes to see your acts of love toward us. That you have demonstrated in the various forms of provision, protection and presence. May we, may we be able to see those things for certain. I pray for the hearts this morning that might be wrestling with this and in questioning whether or not... You love them because of their sin, that they might know for certain that your love has not turned sour toward them. And rather, Lord, that your love would be poured upon them and, and that your love would be a healing agent to their soul. And I pray, like uh, Samuel Rutherford, Lord, that we as a church would fall into the depth of your love, that we wouldn't be ships just sailing on the river of your love, but rather that we would, our ships would sink into the depth of it, and we would experience more and more of it for the glory of Christ, we pray. May this not be something we just speak about but be a reality in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Have a good Sunday, everyone. There is some coffee outside. Enjoy uh, some time of fellowship with each other.